talking about, and we are going to explore the Sikh of Shabbat Hagadol, volume 17. Not every single word of the Sikh, it's a very deep and difficult and long Sikh, but uh, good parts of it. Okay, so the Rebbe presents two questions Shabbat Hagadol. The Shabbos before Passover, before Pesach, is given this name. It's interesting that in Judaism there are various Shabboses that have names. The Shabbos gets like a last name. Shabbos Nachamu, Shabbos Shuvah, Shabbos Shira, Shabbos Hagadol. It's a big one, and there are many reasons given in various sources why it has that name. Uh, the fact that the, that's the day when the rabbi would give a big speech to collect money to make sure the poor people have what to eat. Well, that was the day he would give all the laws of Passover. And there are various reasons listed of why it's called Shabbos Hagadol. It's a big Shabbos. Pesach. You're learning the laws, you're making sure everybody's fed, everybody has a place for the Seder. It's a big day. But then there is the reason that's brought in the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, particularly the Rebbe's referring to the Code of Jewish Law of the Alta Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman, that he only brings one reason, again, from classic oral Torah. And that is that on that day, it's called a great Shabbos because a great miracle happened on that day. What was a great miracle of that day? that uh, it was the 10th day of Nisan, when the Jewish people were commanded by Hashem to take a sheep and tie it to their beds four days in advance of the Paschal Lamb. This was a command given to them on Rosh Chodesh, 10 days earlier. As it says in the Torah, on the portion of Bo, that on Rosh Chodesh, God told Moses, told Moshe and Aaron, tell the Jewish people, that come the 10th day of Nisan, they should prepare for the carbon pace of the Paschal lamb by taking this lamb and bringing it home and, 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 and making it, tying it to the bed, preparing it for the sacrifice. The Jews did that. And uh, that year, it happened to be Shabbos. How do we know that the 10th of Nisan is Shabbos? Because Exodus was on Thursday, on the 15th of Nisan. So if the 15th of Nisan is a Thursday, the 10th of Nisan is a Shabbos. So it happened to be on the Shabbos. And what happened was the Egyptian firstborn saw the Jews are doing a strange thing, taking these sheep. Sheep was the idol of Egypt. Here the Jews are taking their time to their bedside. It was a very strange thing to do. It was considered to be a dangerous thing to do. The Jews did it with sacrifice. It was their way of showing their commitment to Hashem and their faith. And the Egyptian firstborn came and said to the Jews, what are you doing? And they said, they want to tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a Paschal Lamb. There's going to be a Passover. God's going to pass over our homes as he kills all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Uh, the Egyptians firstborn believed them because they had a good track record from the past nine plagues. And they went to Pharaoh and their, and their Egyptian counterparts and said, you better let these people go. And they said, no way. And there was a civil war. The Egyptian firstborn waged a civil war against their own people and killed many of them. And as the verse says, Quote, he smites Egypt with their firstborn. A dual meaning. It could mean that he smites them through hitting their firstborn, but literally it says he smites Egypt through their firstborn. And that was this civil war that the firstborn of Egypt were waging war against their own parents, their own people. Let the people go. This is a big miracle. And that happened on the 10th of Nisan. Why so? Because that's when God commanded us to take that sheep. Right in the book, Parsha's bow. On the 10th day of the month, take the sheep. And it happened to be Shabbos. So therefore, every year on the Shabbos before Passover, we commemorate that great miracle by celebrating a great Shabbos, by calling it a great Shabbos. 
This is a quote from the Code of Jewish Law, as quoting the earlier sources, for the reason of Shabbat HaGadol. The Rebbe asked two questions. First of all, what's so great about that miracle? A lot of things were happening, miracles. Water turns to blood. Staff turns to snake. Hail. I mean, tremendous amount of miracles. A civil war between Egypt and Egypt is considered a, a big miracle by comparison? Hardly seems so. Besides the fact that if you speak about it in terms of the impact on the Jews, it had no impact. The Egyptians got beat up by some of their own people. But then Pharaoh somehow managed to bring in the National Guard or whatever, and he squashed the rebellion. And the Jews were not free until Hashem made the tenth plague five days later. So what's the big deal about this miracle? A, in and of itself, it doesn't seem so big by comparison to the others. It's a miracle. Big miracle. No. And B, it didn't have any impact on the Jews. So why do we care about it? It didn't bring us any closer to freedom. That's the Rebbe's first question, which I sort of subdivided into two. Secondly, the Rebbe says, why is this celebrated on Shabbos? We know that throughout the Jewish calendar, we commemorate dates throughout history when God made miracles for the Jewish people. Invariably, we always celebrate it by the day of the month, not by the day of the week. So for example, let's say Purim was a Tuesday in Adar. We don't say the second Tuesday in Adar is Purim commemorating the miracle of salvation. Or Hanukkah, maybe Hanukkah was a Monday, the last Monday in Kislev. We don't say the last Monday in Kislev. Like in the secular calendar, Lahavdal, you know, the last Thursday in in. In, in November, right? It's Thanksgiving. And then and the first Sunday in, in, uh, in February might be Martin Luther King. They don't know where they celebrate on a Thursday on a Monday. In the Jewish calendar, there's no such thing, Lahabno. The Jewish calendar, which clearly is mirror, mirroring what's happening on high, it goes by the Hebrew date. And Purim is not on, on, on the second Tuesday, and Hanukkah is not on the third Wednesday. It's the 14th of Adar is Purim. It's a date, not only a commemoration, but it's a reenactment, because that's a date when it's happening on high. The same thing with every commemoration in the Jewish calendar. The day of liberation of Pesach. The one exception is Shabbat Zagana. It was a tremendous miracle. Instead of saying we should honor it on the 10th of Nisan, they should do some kind of commemoration. The 10th of Nisan should be like a mini holiday, whatever. We should call it Yom Gadol. No, we move it to the Shabbos before Passover, whenever that might be irrespective of what the Hebrew date on the calendar. That's very curious. Now, the Rebbe is hardly the first one to ask this question. It's brought in the Code of Jewish Law itself, and it's brought in the Gemara, the Teisus talks about it. And an answer is given, this is the famous answer, that there's a reason why the sages did not establish Shabbos HaGadol, that big commemoration of this miracle, on the day of the month, because Yud Nisan later became the earth site of Miriam. Forty years later, Miriam died on that day, and therefore there's a certain sadness associated with that day, and certain people, especially righteous people, even turned it into a fast day. And therefore, they didn't want to make a holiday, the 10th of Nisan, because it's, it, it has a sad day to it, it has a, a sad lining to it, and it's even a fast day. And therefore, they said, let's do it on Shabbos, and if it's Shabbos, nobody's going to fast, and either Shabbos comes the 10th of Nisan, by the way, as it is this year, Shabbos HaGadol is the 10th of Nisan, as it was the original year. And Passover is Thursday, as it was the original year. Or whenever it comes out, but we move it to the Shabbos to avoid the issue of celebrating on Miriam's day of passing. That is the classic reason. 
the Rebbe, in, in classic Rebbe style, points out that everything in Torah is perfect. There are no accidents. So if the 10th of Nisan is not the right day for it to be, God could have made it on the 11th. Or Miriam could have passed away on the 9th. I mean, this is Torah. This is part of Hashem. This is truth. So the fact that providence willed it and the sages went in that direction and that there became this unique concept that a holiday is celebrated not on the Monday of the month, but on the way of the week, and namely Shabbos, has to have a reason. It can't just have a negative reason that it can't be on the weekday because of Miriam's death, and therefore we, we do it on Shabbos because we can't do it the other day. But there's got to be a reason in the positive why we do it on that day. There's got to be a reason in the content of Shabbos and of this miracle that they are one and the same. These are the Rebbe's two questions. So just to make it easy to follow, I'm just going to put it on the screen. So we have the uh, Rebbe's question number one. What makes this miracle big compared to the fantastic miracles at Exodus? Plus, it didn't even affect the Jewish people. We didn't become free from it. And secondly, why was Shabbos set to commemorate and not the 10th day of Nisan? Yes, Miriam's passing is a reason not to do it on the 10th. But what's the reason to do it on Shabbos? The Rebbe says, certainly, there has to be a, a, a positive connection between Shabbos and this miracle that we're honoring. And not just a negative because we can do it on a weekday. That's how the Rebbe teaches us to think about Torah. The Rebbe's explanation is that um, in miracles, what does a miracle mean? We're trying to, Hashem is showing his mastery over the world. There's two types. There's when he squashes nature and subdues it, or when he transforms it and makes it that the that the uh, nature, that the, that the opposition comes on our side. The example for this is given a connection to Shabbos. And this sort of answers both questions in one go. We know that Shabbos, the theme of Shabbos is related to the Messianic age, to Mashiach. We say it in our prayers and the benching, every Shabbos, may God grant us that we should merit the time of which is all Shabbos. For everlasting life. The Psalm 92 we read on Shabbos for the song of the day, Mizmor Shiliyom Shabbat, and the Talmud describes it that this is a reference to the day that is fully Shabbos, the time of Mashiach, the seventh millennia and before it, the time of Mashiach. That's what Shabbos is really about. That's the Shabbos. <clears throat> and why is that the Shabbos, among other reasons? The Shabbos means not only to rest but to subdue. Shvita can mean I am resting. Or lahashpit means I can cause others to rest or to be subdued. We know that the Messianic age is no more evil. There's going to be no war and no envy and no greed, no bad guys. And that's going to be manifest even in the animal kingdom. That the evil, the wild beasts will cease to be. So the word Shabbos, Shvita, can mean to be to cease. Or it can always be a verb, lahashpit, to cause them to cease, to cause them to be subdued. And it's brought down in the Talmud two opinions of how this will be in the future when Mashiach comes. Again, this is going to depend on various opinions. 
at the various stages that the Rebbe explains elsewhere that Mashiach will have their initial error and the later error. First, it'll be more natural-like, and then it will be more miraculous-like. But, but the general discussion is that there are two opinions or two approaches, and perhaps these are the two errors, of how this Shabbos concept of subduing evil in the world and winning it over to Hashem, to the good guys, as led through Mashiach and the Jewish people, that the whole world will come to serve Hashem with one voice, how this will be manifested, particularly how it's manifest in the animal kingdom, which represent evil, you have wild beasts that tear up others. We're used to it as part of the food chain, but ultimately this is not a representation of goodness. We can't blame them because that's their nature. But ultimately in Hashem's perfect world, there is no such concept. So the two opinions, how it's going to be this future Shabbos, brought in the Gemara and the Talmud. Um, one is that that they will, the animals will be Shabbos. They'll be subdued. I'm sorry. One is Mashbisa Minailam. They'll be eradicated from the earth. So I guess there'll be no more lions and tigers and bears and wolves. Kind of boring. But that's apparently the one opinion. Mashbisa Minailam. But all dangerous beasts, all hurtful beings will be eradicated. Snakes, they're gone. The second approach, which is the approach that Hasidus embraces, and perhaps, again, not for this Sicha, maybe that's what's going to happen in the later stage of Mashiach, that not, they will be eradicated, but they will be transformed, and they will become sweet and cuddly. Well, finally, when we give our kid a teddy bear, which we don't do now because it's not kosher, but uh, the teddy bear to cozy up with, it will finally be, in fact, a cozy animal. And uh, this is the second opinion. One opinion will just will eradicate them. And the greater level and the way the Hasidists approaches, according to the Talmudic opinion, that the animals will be Shabbos. They won't be subdued to be eradicated away, but they will actually be transformed. And they will become good. And this is considered a much greater accomplishment. This is the real Shabbos. Because when you take a bad guy, and you subdue them. You didn't really win because uh, you didn't eradicate evil. You just beat this guy because you're stronger than him. The concept is still there. He could pick himself up later or someone else. But if you transform bad into good, if the bad guys vote and change their mind, now you have uh, you have truly won. You know, wonder you wonder how the the geula, the redemption of Mashiach, will be a permanent one. We had two mesamigdash. And they stood, I'm going to remove this screen for a couple of minutes. They stood for hundreds of years and they represented Gilead, of course, revelation of Hashem in the world. There were 10 miracles in the temple. The subjugation of nature to miracle, the subjugation of world to its maker. These are all foretastes of Mashiach. And yet they didn't last. We had the first base of Migdash for 410 years, second one 420. Before the first base of Migdash, it was close to 400 years of various temporary temples. And all of them had these miraculous revelations where God appeared in the world and subdued the world and miraculously took control and, and things happened that were not expected, were not normal. There were 10 constant miracles in the temple. And yet it didn't last. There was destruction of the first temple, the second. And yet we know this Mashiach is coming, hopefully today and now. And that temple will be forever. Like why? Nothing's forever. What's the guarantee? What's the rationale? And the explanation is that in the first temples, 
it was a top-down situation. Hashem, through King Solomon and the other leaders, made these miracles and they were subdued. They didn't start up. They didn't mess. They paid taxes. They understood who's boss. But that's hardly a real victory. If I can beat you down, doesn't mean that I'm true. It means I'm strong. Hashem showed his strength and that the nations were bringing sacrifices to the temple and they brought taxes to King Solomon. Jewish people themselves were behaving in a good way because they saw all these miraculous things. However, they didn't become transformed, not the Jews and not certainly not the Gentiles. And therefore, it reared its ugly head again and yet again and yet again. And here we are still in Gullus. Once we have the third Beis Hamikdash, and what it represents, that evil becomes good, within the Jewish people themselves, the, the Sahara, etc., becomes transformed to goodness. And the nations themselves, they take on the yoke of Mashiach, not only because of fear, but because of love, not only because they're forced into it, but because they will recognize in and of themselves the truth of Hashem. And therefore, they all come to serve Hashem. As the Navi says, I will transform the nations. This is the central theme of this Sicha. There's two words in Hasidus, Iskafya to subdue, and Ishafka to transform. One thing to subdue negativity, be it within our own natures or within the world. And it's another to transform it and get the bad guy to be on your team. Says the Navi, says the prophet, referring to the future Gula, himself I will transform the nations to speak with a clear language. They'll speak with one tongue and they will all proclaim that Hashem is the, is the king. So once the nations have it, they are transformed. It's a much greater accomplishment. And why? Again, if I just beat down the enemy, I didn't really win. It's perhaps a temporary victory. It could be other enemies. The same enemy could pick himself up. Even when he's down, he's not really a friend. Conceptually, what it means is I only showed that I'm stronger. I didn't show that I'm truer or I'm true. Conversely, if the enemy is won over, if the enemy is transformed and becomes my friend and buys into my message, now I'm the truth. And now there's no longer an enemy to speak of. And that's the real goal. If that goal is only accomplished fully when Mashiach comes. And that's why that's called the real Shabbos. If Shabbos means transform Klippa, unholiness, into holiness, that's when it will happen in the real sense. The enemies of the Jewish people will, will, will come on board with, the, with monotheism and with goodness and with the Jewish people. Not that they'll all become Jewish, but they'll all be in line with this message. And it'll even manifest, as I said earlier, in the animal kingdom, that the higher level of it is that the animals will be transformed from wild beasts, they'll still exist, but they'll be transformed to being kind and good. And therefore, says the Rebbe, it makes sense. Let's go back to the chart now. What was the second question? To the first question was, what makes this miracle big? The answer is, this is a miracle of transformation rather than subjugation. All miracles represent the concept that Hashem is bigger than the world. And it's his way of slowly eating away at nature, of klipa, of things that think that they're self-sufficient, and slowly bringing them, preparing them for the day when the whole world knows that it's Hashem, this is all just Hashem. However, in most miracles, nature is won over. It's subdued. Hashem doesn't allow it to do what it wants. 
and makes it do something else. You're not a C. You become like a wall. You didn't win it over. You just forced it into, into a submission, into conforming, which is wonderful. It shows Hashem's power, but it's not the higher level. Whereas in this miracle, in the whole story of Exodus, this is perhaps the only place where we see this, that, what, that the, the enemy got on board with the good guys. Firstborn of Egypt or fighting Egyptians, and they became part, if you will, of the Jewish army for that moment. It's a transformation of sorts. It's a taste of the real Shabbos, a taste of Mashiach. We need to understand what it means, firstborn of Egypt. And back in the day, the old cultures, the firstborn were really important. Some people didn't care about anyone besides their firstborn. They represented, you know, the, the elite, the chim de lecham, the next generation, the leaders. And they turned around and said, this is ridiculous. The Jews are right. And even though they did it for mercenary reasons, they weren't doing it because they became good. But symbolically, conceptually, this was a crack in the wall of evil in a real way and a glimpse of what will be ultimately when Mashiach comes. Obviously, this wasn't ultimate. This wasn't real. It didn't even create the exodus. It didn't even change the reality for the Jews. But being that even the, the redemption of Mashiach, all of it, stems from the original redemption in Pesach. We got to, the, Hashem empowered us for everything that would ultimately happen. There was a taste of that in Pesach too. A taste of what? The ultimate redemption of not the subjugation of evil, but the transformation of it. Where do you find that in the first redemption? On Shabbos Agadol. Why is it called big? It's big. It's a glimpse of the real miracle. The Shiach miracle. A whole transformation miracle. Not the subjugation which is Pesach, but the transformation miracle of Mashiach, it's big. It's big, even though it's such a big miracle by comparison, but in terms of its value, qualitatively, this is big stuff. This is in terms of showing the truth of Hashem and the victory of Yiddishkeit. This is a huge step, conceptually. And therefore, says the Rebbe, Question two, why is it linked to Shabbos? Because Shabbos is all about transformation, as we explained earlier in detail. Straight out of the Gemara, the Talmud, that Shabbos represents the Messianic era. You know, Shabbos on steroids, the Shabbos, the day of Shabbos, which is the day which is all Shabbos. And there's the two steps and two opinions or two phases of it. One of the animals being eradicated, but the other in the greater, deeper level that the animals are transformed, and therefore Shabbos represents transformation. So, of course, the day on the Jewish calendar, which is a taste of the future Shabbos, is the day that celebrates a miracle of transformation. And therefore, it's not called Yom Gadol on the 10th of Nisan. It's called Shabbos HaGadol, not just because of Miriam's yard site. That's the halachic technical reason, but this is the spiritual reason. Because it's all thematically linked to Shabbos. That's what Shabbos is. Going to be a day when the whole world will be good. Not by force, but by transformation. And that's what Shabbos HaGadol unleashed. On the cosmic level, if you will, on the historic level. Fantastic stuff. You could stop right here and you already have tremendous amounts of lessons. The Rebbe is illuminating the concept of Shabbos HaGadol. Why it's such a big deal. And, um, and why it's such a big miracle and why it's Shabbos. It's fantastic. It's transformation. It's transformative. It's, it's Mashiach. 
in a way that none of the other miracles of Exodus are. But then, based on this, the Rebbe is going to sweeten it up more. Based on this, the Rebbe says, let me show you how Shabbos represents transformation. Here I'm learning the Sikha a little bit out of order. There's a part of the Sikha that's very, very rich, very deep, and a little difficult, and I'm saving it for the end. But I think the flow can work without it, and we'll go to visit it at the end for those who want to go to the end. Where do we see the concept of transformation, that Shabbos is transformation? So first of all, on the first Shabbos of history, there was no darkness. We all know, but many of us know, that the reason why we light the candle for Abdullah on Shabbos night because that's when Adam Arisha, Adam and Eve, were in the dark for the first time. And they turned to God and said, God, hello, you didn't pay the bill. The lights are out. And Hashem told them to take a flintstone, create fire, which is symbolic of man's partnership with God. It's the first malacha, it's the first work that he did to create something from nature, from the potential that Hashem put in nature. And the, and, and the rest is history. All the third nine laws of Shabbos that we do after fire, which is you know, creating all our food and the clothing and buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So Shabbos night, we lit the fire, and uh, and that's why we like to have Dalalach. So Adam Arisha and Adam and Eve will not be in the dark. But what about Friday night? What about Friday night? And the answer is, the lights never went out on Friday night. That first Shabbos was a foretaste of Mashiach. And even the night shone like the day. which is a prophetic language that's brought in, 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 in the prophet Isaiah regarding the time of Mashiach. The night will shine like the day. And the words are not just poetic, but they are precise. Not that it's going to be just day. No, there's going to be day and night, which means there's going to be goodness and evil. And evil will become good. Darkness will shine like light. There you have it transformation. And it was enacted or embodied in the first Shabbos of history. But physically, it was nighttime, and it, be, and, it, and it wasn't dark. And it wasn't just Hashem trying to make a trick. He was embedding into Shabbos the nature of the great Shabbos of Mashiach, that millennia and the, and, and, and the centuries prior to it, which will be the, the early preparation of Shabbos, which um, which will be that darkness is transformed as for the aforementioned in great detail, the way it's going to manifest within the Jewish people. And the Yitzhahara becomes good, and sin, even the Chazah, the pig becomes kosher, you know what I mean? The nations become, become good from themselves, not just because of fear of a mighty king, the Mashiach, but ultimately embracing it. And even in the animal kingdom, as manifest, as expressed earlier. So that is, that begun, that process if you will, was set into motion on the first Shabbos, that it was night and it was light. Hashem didn't say that the first Shabbos doesn't have a night. It has a night, and the night is bright. And that is, the second point is that this is transformation is seen also in the fact that Shabbos makes every material pursuit holy. Shabbos is a strange thing. You eat and you drink and you sleep and they're mitzvahs. These are not mitzvahs. But on Shabbos, they're mitzvahs. They become holy. Just eating and drinking, sleeping. 
because Shabbos has the power of transformation. Taking klipa, these are all klipa, albeit klipa snagia, they're not the lowest klipa, they're not unkosher. You can't make a Shabbos meal, God forbid, unkosher food. These are kosher things, but nevertheless, they're mundane. They're not holy. And on Shabbos, they become holy. That is even now in our daily lives, throughout Golos even, that we see the transformative power of Shabbos. It's a different type of day. It's like a Mashiach day. You're eating a meal and it's holy. Because that's what Mashiach is. That's what the ultimate Shabbos is. Everything is transformed. Based on this, the Rebbe says that's why it's called the Great Shabbos. It's not just called the Great Day, which happens to be on a Shabbos for some technical reason. Uh, it's a great Shabbos. Every Shabbos is transformation. As we said before, you can elevate the mundane, but you can't elevate the evil, the unholy. Right? As we know from Tanya, in the world there are three categories. There's holiness, like mitzvahs, tefillin, tzitzis, Shabbos candles, belulav, what have you. Then we have that which is neutral or mundane, namely kosher food and kosher the drink, kosher behaviors. And then we have the unkosher, sinfulness, the pig. That low category, which is called the three impure klipot, cannot be elevated on Shabbos. Shabbos now, before Mashiach, can only elevate the middle category. It's transformative. However, when Mashiach comes, we elevate everything. The chazer, the pig, becomes kosher. Why it's called chazer, right? Because chazer means it will return. What is the message of the peak becoming culture? The transformation, as we said before, in great detail of, of worldliness, because everything is realized to be part of Hashem's mission, part of Hashem's extension. And therefore, Hashem's light. And therefore, Shabbos, this Shabbos, where Egypt was fighting Egypt, where the, the unholy people were fighting unholiness, this is a big Shabbos. This is Shabbos on steroids. This is bigger than a regular Shabbos. We would just elevate mundane to holy. Klipat Noga. The more benign level of Klipa. But we're actually elevating unholiness. The Egyptian firstborn are fighting themselves. So it's a taste of Mashiach. It's a taste of the real thing. It's Shabbos, it's Shabbos on steroids. And then the Rebbe takes it further. The last line on the screen. The last line on the screen that the Rebbe basically explains why the Alter Rebbe presents Shabbos HaGadol being as a result of Exodus. This is interesting. It's a little nuanced. If you look in the way the Alter Rebbe explains, let me see what's coming after this. Okay. This is, this is a, a, again, we could stop here and we understand not only the meaning of why it's a great Shabbos and a great miracle, and it's directly related to Shabbos. And we also understand uh, how it's manifest every week in our Shabbos and the first Shabbos of creation. Got it. But the Rebbe is showing it in many different angles. So here's a further angle. Yeah, the Rebbe says in his code, in this section of Shabbos Agadol, that the Shabbos is the 10th of Nisa. And that's why we have each year on Shabbos HaGadol, we celebrate it at Shabbos HaGadol. And then the Rebbe gives the calculation of how we know that Shabbos is the 10th of Nisan. Because the Jews went out of Egypt on Thursday, so Thursday is the 15th of Nisan. 
So the 10th of Nisan is Shabbos, and therefore it's Shabbos Agadol. The Rebbe says this is very strange for this to be in a court of law. This is well-known facts from the Gemara and from the calculation of the days. The court of law doesn't have to give such detail. Even though the Alter Rebbe said that his purpose of writing the Shulchan Aruch is to give more than just the reason, the, the laws, but also the reasons. This is more than the big Shulchan Aruch upon which it's based, because it also gives the reasons. Yeah, but you don't have to give the whole calculation behind the reason. You could have simply said that the, it's called Shabbos Agadol because a great miracle happened that day. They figure out the calculation that this is the 10th of Nisan. And how? Because on the Thursday they went out of Egypt. So the Rebbe says, I'm going to answer this on a Hasidic level. Looking at it on the soulful level of the matter. If you think about it, what he's really saying is that Shabbos HaGadol is a result of Exodus. By making this calculation, saying, well, Shabbos HaGadol must be the 10th of Nisan. Why? Because Thursday is Exodus, 15th of Nisan. So Shabbos, rewind five days, the 10th of Nisan is Shabbos HaGadol. It's an unnecessary calculation. What it's really saying to us on a mystical and a Hasidic level is that Shabbos HaGadol is based on Exodus, even though Exodus happened later. What is the Rebbe saying here? It says the Rebbe, there's different ways to look at the Shabbos HaGadol. One could look at it as its own miracle. But there's a whole story of Exodus and all these miracles. By the way, there was another thing that happened that it stands on its own. Another way to look at it the Shabbos HaGadol is actually a preparation for Exodus. And I guess it's discussed in different commentaries, different views. It's not a separate and apart thing. It's, it's, it's a lead-up. As the Rebbe, it's, it's neither. It's actually an outgrowth of the Exodus. It's not a standalone, and it's not even a preparation. It's actually built on the Exodus. If I hope I'm saying this correctly, it's greater than the Exodus. Because as we said before, it's a taste of the ultimate Exodus. It's a taste of Mashiach. What is the Exodus about? Starting the process for the ultimate redemption, where the whole world becomes Hashem Echad, Ain't nothing besides Hashem. Where do we get the power of Namely, for the firstborn of Egypt, for the elite of Egypt to fight Egypt. Transformation where the whole world is singing Hashem's praises and fighting to benefit the Jews. That doesn't, that's not possible pre-Exodus. It's not standing on its own. It's not even a process to Exodus. It's post-Exodus. It's empowered by Exodus. That's how I understand the Sikha. That's how many people understand this section, a little bit difficult section of the Sikha. That this is really empowered by Exodus because what is the power of Exodus to unleash the power of redemption, ultimately the ultimate redemption? where everything is ishapcha, where, where the negative is transformed, hence the firstborn of Egypt. And therefore, says the Rebbe, that that's why the Alter Rebbe presents it in such a complicated way, doing almost like the math. Since Pesach is the 50th, and that's a Thursday, it is the 10th, and it's a Shabbos, as if we couldn't figure this out on our own. And this is a well-known fact from the Gemara, the Tesis. The Alter Rebbe puts it all into the code of law, because on a, on a mystical level, on a spiritual level, this is a huge day. It's a day that's empowered and unleashed by redemption. And therefore, it is building upon the building blocks of Exodus. And therefore, technically, it is, it is built on the calculation of rewinding five days from Exodus, meaning it's standing on the shoulders of Exodus. 
It's beyond Exodus, if I could say so, if I'm saying it correctly. It's Messianic. It's Mashiach. Rabbi concludes the Sikha. I'm still going to go back to do the central part of the Sikha, which is so delicious, but I want to save that because it's it's separate and apart and more difficult in a sense, even though obviously related. But the Rebbe concludes the Sikha by saying, we know the principle that what? The Arizal teaches us the words in the Megillah, that these days are remembered and enacted. That whenever we remember special days, we enact them and we accomplish them. Says the Rebbe, What's the message to us? We just explained Shabbos HaGadol is huge. We are standing now in a, in a cosmic Shabbos HaGadol. What's Shabbos HaGadol? A very special time just before Exodus, but we're still in exile. That's where we are, moments before Mashiach. So you might say we're like in the Shabbos HaGadol time. We're getting ready for Mashiach. Says the Rebbe, what is the job for us? The same job the Jews had then on Shabbos HaGadol. They were supposed to go and draw themselves, the language is, draw yourself away from idolatry, which many Jews were involved in, and embrace the mitzvah of the Paschal Island. This is uh, the two pillars of Judaism, if you will. Sur may not stay away from sin and embrace goodness. So the Rebbe says today, nobody's involved with idolatry. Idolatry, even the temptation for idolatry has been eradicated by the sages way back when. But the concept of idolatry, Avodah means any service which is foreign to a Jew. And this is the moment even before Mashiach comes. Shabbos HaGadol time. We are able, every Jew is empowered by Torah, by Hashem, by the Rebbe, <laughs> to remove themselves from anything that's foreign to a Jew, anything that's not Yiddish, and to embrace everything that's Torahic, that's Yiddish, that's kosher, that's holy. And, uh, and to do this, in a way that affects other people as well. That's why this Paschal Lambert bought sell the a sheep for the family, which means we affect our family, we affect the people around us. And we don't have to wait for Mashiach to rise ourselves up on this level. But we can do it now. That means that even as we are in Golos, in the darkness, we are living in a transformative way. The way I understand the Rebbe writes it very simply, but this is supposed to carry the whole weight of the Sikha that came before it. That uh, we're in Golos, we still have Yitzhahara, we still have the Golos, all this, this junk. And we have the power to, to undo it. To say no to anything that's foreign to a Yid, to embrace everything that's positive. How can we do it? How do we have the power to do it? The answer is, it's time for the firstborn of Egypt to fight Egypt. It's time for our own Yitzhahara to tell us to stay away from sin and embrace mitzvahs. We're ready for that. It's transformation time. It's Shabbos HaGadolah. And to share that with others. And then we will also see the nations being affected, which again is thematic what the Sikh is all about, that the nations are affected. And this is the preparation for the final redemption when the nations will be on the team. That's the lesson of the Sikh. You know, we're still in Golis. No, Shabbos HaGadolah tells us to, to live to live, to live as if it's a to live Goladik and not be afraid of the Golas, which ready to try the end of the city. Pause. I want to now go back and deal with the central part of the Sikha, which is with the Rebbe in the middle of the Sikha. What I'm going to do now is 
is uh, in the Sicha Ois Dalit and Hay. Chapter four and five. Okay. So whatever it says, we're just zeroing in on one thing. What's that one thing? One of the main things the Sicha said is that transformation represents Shabbos. As we said before, how does transformation represent Shabbos? We showed it in many ways, right? Shabbos is uh, the fourth days. Shabbos is the Mashiach, transforming the animals become good. First Shabbos, there was no darkness. Shabbos, we elevate Klippa, we elevate mundane, make it into a mitzvah. So Shabbos is transformation. It says that Rebbe, not only is Shabbos transformation in all those ways, but the very essence of Shabbos is transformation. The very existence of Shabbos is the concept of transformation. How so? So the Rebbe says, because Shabbos is a contradiction in and of itself. On the one hand, Shabbos is a creation of a day. Every one of the seven days of creation, Hashem created besides, before, besides creating certain things on that day, He created the day itself. Time is a creation. And there were seven units of time that Hashem created. First day, the second day, all the way to the seventh day. From then on, all future weeks are just a reenactment and a, and a renewal. Of course, Hashem renews everything every moment, but, and, but we know that time is a creation. And created seven units of time. The way to understand this, I think, is that to understand that there's seven lights and seven sephirot, the seven emotions of God, which were felt in every day of creation. Right? What are the seven emotions of God? Kindness and love, and then discipline, and then beauty, etc. And that's how you see in the seven days of creation. The first day there was kindness and love, Hashem created light. The second day is division, discipline, separating the waters. The third day is beauty, vegetation. Fourth day is Netzach, victory. We see Hashem creating the planets and the stars, victory. And that's true with every day of creation. That's manifested, expressed in the seven days of creation itself, what was created each day. But then you see it in the seven millennia, because each millennia represents a day for Hashem. The first millennia was the light of kindness. And that's why people lived a thousand years. The second millennia was the light of discipline. And that's why there was a flood, the Tower of Babel. Babel. And the 17 languages was splintered from the one language of Hebrew. The third millennia is, uh, the, is, is the attribute of beauty. The Torah was given. The fourth millennia, the attribute of victory. That's why the temple stood, etc. Et so each one of the seven days was a unit in time, was a concept of time creation. Separate and apart, before what was actually created within that time. The time itself is a different creation. So now I want you to think about this. The Chazal, the sages tell us that when Shabbos came, there was nothing missing. The world was all done. What was missing? Menucha, rest. Ha! Shabbos created Menucha. Says so the Rebbe, think about this. Menucha, rest, serenity, is the exact opposite of the creation of a day. Because the creation of a day of time means a unit that has a past, present, and future. That's what time is. Pre-creation, there was no time. There was no past, present, and future. Because these are all descriptions of finitude, of breaking things down. Pre-creation is just Hashem. There's no yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's like there's no space. Higher, lower, better, worse. It's all one. It's all Hashem. It's all pure and simple. The concept of no, there's a past, there's a present, there's a future, there's details. Minute after minute, there's a concept of movement. Why would you move? 
Because Hashem, there's no movement. It just is. It's perfection. Movement means I, I need to change. I need to move. This is a description of worldliness, of creation, as opposed to creator. And Shabbos is a day. So Shabbos, like every other day of creation, is a message of change, of division, of movement, of time. And yet we say it's a time that represents Manucha rest, of non-movement. It's a time that stands still. It's my words, but I think that's the best way to, to present this part of the Sikha. Stand still is a divine concept. I don't have to move. I have nowhere to go. I have no details. There's nothing to say. I am what I am. Stand still. There's no time. There's no place. All of these things are, 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 are put together of a, a composite of units. Space is different dimensions. Time is past, present, future. At every moment, every second, we're moving. It's dynamic because it's not Hashem. It's not at peace. It's not is what it is. It's, it, it, it's, it's limitation. It's made up of detail. So timelessness beyond creation would be standing still, menucha. Time means movement. And here we say it's a day. And what is the day? It's all about serenity and rest, and that's all it is. What you're really saying is a contradiction. What you're saying is a time that stands still, a time that doesn't move. See where the Rebbe is going with this? This is a manifestation of the ultimate plan of Hashem, where the world becomes transformed to be a lakus. You see it in this contradiction. By the way, we see that also in the Beis Hamikdash in the world of place. What is the greatest manifestation of Hashem's revelation in the Beis Hamikdash? The place of the Ark took up no space. The Rebbe doesn't say it in the Sikha, and I don't even see it in the footnotes. To me, it seems to be a mirror image of this in the realm of time to express it in, in, in space. Why is that the greatest miracle? There were 10 miracles in the temple. Great miracles. It poured and rained and it didn't put out the fire. And yet, where do we see the real presence of Hashem in the, in the ark? Space, not taking up space. Says the Rebbe, another sikhs, that that's where there was the real contradiction. In the other miracles, it rained. It's supposed to put out a fire if it rains, and it didn't. So Hashem changed nature. It doesn't show transformation. It shows subjugation. Nature doesn't listen to what its normal nature is. It listens to Hashem. Hashem says, no, this time the fire should not go out. And the same is with the other eight miracles. The 10th miracle, the miracle of the ark not taking up space, this is a contradiction in and of itself. On the one hand, it had to be measured. It had to be two and a half cubits or one and a half cubits. And it was made by people. It had to be precise. It was absolutely uh, within the realm of space. And yet, try to measure it from wall to wall and you can't find it. Right? Because it's two and a half cubits and then you run it from one side of it to the wall, you have the 10 cubits on the other side, 10 cubits. The whole room was 20 cubits put into the ark. I just gave you measurements of the Beis Hamikdash and the Mishkan. The measurements were half. The bottom line is, and that's why it's considered the greatest miracle, as the Rebbe explains in many places, other sikhs, because it's a contradiction. Why is a contradiction such a great revelation of Hashem? In the context of this sikh, because that's where you see transformation. If Hashem comes again by the other miracles and it rains, it doesn't put out the fire. So Hashem showed his power. He didn't transform, he subdued nature. But here we didn't transform, we didn't subdue nature. The ark did not lose its space. It absolutely had its space, and yet it didn't. That's called transformation. Where space is beyond space, where nature is beyond nature. 
as the prophecy that's again, I think, a glimpse of Mashiach, where nature will become miraculous, where nature will scream that it has a creator. Famous example that Shabbos, when you want to pick the fig, when Mashiach comes, the fig is going to say, How could you pick me? Same way you can't put your finger in fire. You couldn't pick a fig on Shabbos when Mashiach comes because nature will recognize that's called transformation. It's not yielding to the miracle. It's recognizing that it is a miracle or it is divine in nature. So the same way you have it in space, that in that paradox, where space is beyond space, that's where you see that Hashem has transformed the world. You see it in the realm of time, says the rabbi. And this is that Shabbos is in itself represents transformation. You might say Shabbos is the Ark, the Aron Kodesh, the Aron in the realm of space of time. Because Shabbos is a day. It's a creation, a unit in time with a special significance as separate and apart from the other six days. And time means limitation, past, present, future, dynamic, etc. And yet it's a time of serenity. It's a time where nothing moves. How do you reckon that? So Shabbos represents that nature is beyond nature. Shabbos represents that the evil become good. And that physicality is part of Kedusha, etc., etc., to the nth degree. So this is um, this is uh, this is just putting it up here. Oh, so this is Shabbos is all about transformation. Shabbos equals rest, which is a contradiction. On the one hand, a day represents time. Time means movement, past, present, future. And it's also non-movement, time standing still, which in a sense means nature and beyond nature, it's transformed. And the Rebbe in this part of the Sikha says, where do you find this in Halacha? It's fascinating here, the Rebbe is talking such spiritual or fine concepts, but the Rebbe always wants to find something in Halacha, concrete. Where do you find in halacha such a concept? In Jewish law, Jewish legalese, being that Torah is all one, if something's true on a spiritual level, it should be true on a legal level. And the Rebbe finds it and gives a few examples of it. This concept of time, which represents movement of units, really being one moment. The Rebbe first gives an example of Yom Kippur. It is said, and this is a discussion by the Rogachavar going of whether time is one unit or a collection of units. And the difference would be, let's say Shabbos began, and I didn't I didn't keep the Shabbos. Is there value in me in finishing the Shabbos or it doesn't matter anymore? And the same question would be on Kippur. The Rogachavar uh, posits that uh, Shabbos is, is not one unit in this sense, and Yom Kippur is. And, and the manifestation would be that if a child becomes by mitzvah in the middle of Shabbos or in the middle of Yom Kippur, it's possible to be because if a child is not mature physically and then they become mature at that, uh, that middle of the day. So Shabbos, once they Shabbos started, they didn't keep it, they didn't have the obligation, they don't have the obligation anymore. Whereas Yom Kippur, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's not correct. On Shabbos, once, even though Shabbos started, they became a mitzvah in the middle of Shabbos. It still makes sense for them to keep Shabbos, because Shabbos, every moment is separate. Like I tell Jews in my community, even if you're not showing Shabbos yet, keep Friday night, or hold back from doing one malach, 
Somebody sure yesterday told me because we needed to adjust something in the, the, the room was too hot and I was going to call the guy, etc. And he said, I'll do it. I drove here. And I have to explain to him that Shabbos is every moment is a, is, is a Shabbos. You don't have to. It's not all or nothing. Whereas Yom Kippur is a concept that it's considered one moment, says the Raga Chavar, in the sense that if a child becomes a mitzvah in the middle of Yom Kippur, he doesn't have to keep Yom Kippur. I guess he doesn't have to fast. You, you can't divide it. What do we see from that? This is because Yom Kippur represents the concept of oneness. Yom Kippur is the only Yom Tip that's one day, other than Purim, which is Yom Kippurim, because also it has that place of the revelation of the soul, the essence of the soul. Every yantif, every every yantif takes uh, seven days to process the message of the through the seven emotions. Yom Kippur is the essence; it's one day. Really, according to Chassidus, Yom Kippur is like one moment. It's one moment where a yid feels connection. So, why do you have twenty-five hours? You should have one moment. It's true; the whole twenty-five hours is one moment. But what do you mean? It's twenty-five hours. So, Yom Kippur, even legally, the Rabbi Chavar is speaking from a legal perspective, represents this contradiction. Another example is the 49 days of Naomer is considered one count with some opinions. And therefore, if I missed one day, I don't make a bracha. But it's 49 days. How can I have 49 days of counting and it's considered one count? Because it represents that there can be a continuum of time and yet they represent a unit of time, a oneness. Again, speaking on a legal level, the other example is an opposite example. Not when many become one, but when one extends for many. And that is the one exodus experience that took place in Egypt continues on and on and on until Mashiach comes and uh, all the steps, the stages that it took place until it happened and that continues until Mashiach comes every single day. We say yeah, Hashem took us out of Egypt today and we mean it and it's true. Why? Because somehow this is an event that happened but really still happens. So here we see again the contradiction or the fact that time can have both sides of a continuum and a oneness. Anyway, these are just halachic examples that the Rebbe is bringing out, but the purpose of this conversation is to bring out a Shabbos, therefore. Shabbos represents Ishabcha. Shabbos represents both, really, subjugation and transformation, but really, most importantly, transformation, which is the great day of Shabbos of Mashiach, and therefore our job, as we, as we are in Shabbos Agadol, days before Mashiach, to try to see and live in a world where we see Hashem in the nature, and... Um, and the two go hand in hand, and, and, and there's a concept of this transformation of uh, that unholiness becomes holy and worldliness is seen for its purpose, which is an expression of Hashem's truth and a mechanism with which to serve Hashem.